The Abiding Word with Pastor Jim Swigert. Okay, so as I mentioned a few minutes ago, we're going to be looking again at God's way versus man's way. Again, the mindset or, you know, the umbrella with which we're coming under with our foundations of discipleship in this season is, you know, ministering one to another, counseling one, you know, counseling others, which essentially is making disciples. And we looked at a few weeks ago how the body of Christ is to encourage one another. It is to exhort one another. It is to admonish one another and teach one another. And so all those things come under the umbrella of counseling one another. All right. And so for us to be effective in making disciples in this way, and who's called to make disciples? All of us. Every single believer is called to make disciples. We are to be discipled, and then we are to make disciples. And so last week we began looking under the heading of biblical understanding. And it's so important that we have a firm foundation on the biblical understanding of ministering one to another, or counseling one another, or making disciples. And we're going to start to begin to tie in some things tonight. And then for the next few weeks, next week I know we're going to look at uh, the resources that we have in Christ to fulfill the Great Commission and to counsel one another. And then we are going to look uh, at biblical change or biblical hope. And then in a few weeks we are going to begin looking at specifically different areas of life that is so relevant to our times that we're living in that we might be able to gain from God's word by the power of his Holy Spirit to minister to one to another. Such things like you know, the bondage of sin with alcohol or drugs or a pornography or gambling or bitterness, anger, all those things, we're going to get specific. And then we're also going to go into um, marriage and parenting and those kinds of things that oftentimes come up, right? Uh, not only in church, but what about in the workplace where you have a coworker who might ask you a question? They might ask you to pray for them. And so it's great that we pray for them, but it's also great that we would have a word from God to them. And so this is why we're doing this. Again, the mindset of in-depth discipleship, okay? So, counseling, ministering to, encouraging one another, ultimately, we are leading people to Jesus. And looking at what his word says, because no matter what problem issue and life that people might face, the number one priority is what does God say about it? And that's a good thing because if we go by what God says, we know that God is loving. We know that God cares for us. We also know that God has the remedy for no matter what it is. And that gives us hope right there. Okay? 
So let's start out with a foundational verse that we began to look at last week, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Wow. Again, as we looked at last week, the word of God has great ability to work in the lives of God's people. And for you and I, sharper than a double-edged sword, it's interesting, the double-edged sword, the Word of God, living or active, it's a double-edged sword for you and I because we're disciples. And so the Word of God going to us. And then on the other side of the double-edged sword is those that we are speaking to or living, doing life with, making disciples. So it's important that everything that we go uh, cover, everything that we cover um, is relevant to our own lives and also to those that we share with. And I think it goes without saying, right? If we're not being discipled or, or if we're not being in the Word of God, if we're not living for the Lord, it's going to be impossible to be effective to making disciples or to minister one to another in such a way that the Lord desires. Now let's open up to Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 through 9. Again, just looking at a couple verses here to get started tonight. Foundational verses regarding God's word. And we're going to see next week when we get into the sufficiency of the scriptures that this is our authority in all that we say, all that we do. But Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 through 9. It says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we see clearly here, God is saying that his thoughts, his ways, are so much higher than our thoughts. And for you and I, we say amen, right? I see some of you shaking your head. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's, we understand that. This is, it's a good thing that God's ways are higher than our ways. But think about those who don't believe and trust in the Lord. That's the number one thing. They don't want authority over them. So they're not, going to, they're not going to automatically believe what we just read because they don't have a belief in God. But for you and I, as a foundation for our own lives and for those that we could ever come along to help in their problems of life, 
if his ways and his thoughts are so much higher than ours, what is our number one source? Yeah. Him. His word. Again, that's foundational to anything we could ever do to help somebody is that we have God's word to be able to share. Who has uh, Proverbs 14, 12? Go ahead, Pat. Um, there is a way that seems right to a man, but it's, but its end is the way of death. Okay. Man has always thought that man's way is best, right? Is that true? Pretty much. Do we have any evidence of that? Look outside. <laughs> Look right over here, and you'll see evidence, man thinking. What about, um, what about 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14? Okay. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Okay, so the natural man, the natural man, who is the natural man? The unredeemed man, the unsaved man, living in the flesh, those who don't have the Holy Spirit, which speaks of non-believers. Right? Say again? Dead men. Dead men, yeah, absolutely. So we're, now we're going to hit a quick review. I want to do a quick review or just a, a something to get our feet wet by looking at a few things about man's way. We just read that the natural man can't understand the things of the spirit. But we can also say this. The natural man is inadequate to have victory in this life over his problems and issues. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. We just read a couple of those scriptures, Proverbs 14, 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. We can say this also about the natural man, the unredeemed, the unsaved. The natural man is rebellious and self-centered. We're going to look at that being self-centered here a little bit more in depth. But I like what the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church at Colossae, and uh Colossians chapter 1, he mentioned that the natural man was hostile to the things of God. He was alienated from God. He was spiritually dead. And that's, that's shown throughout the scriptures, right? As man, not in the will of God, not having come and surrendered his life to God, they are, as Ephesians 2 says, spiritually dead. That's man's way. God's way, again, as a quick overview, God's way, or God says, man needs to change. That's interesting, and we'll get to that in a few weeks under that heading, biblical change, and what's that, what, what that looks like. But when you think about for the unredeemed, the unsaved, the non-believer, there's a change that has to take place. Uh, and we know that that needs to be a surrender to God. But let's think about Believers who aren't walking in the will of God. There needs to be a change. 
And we're going to look at what transformation looks like in a biblical sense. Um, so again, man needs to change. There needs to ultimately be a spiritual birth of the, being born again where they recognize, admit, and solve their problems only in a biblical way. And that only comes by God's grace, empowering and giving wisdom. Turn with me to John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. If you have questions or you have something to say, please raise your hand. Um, because this is supposed to be participation. John chapter 3, beginning of verse 3. No doubt you're familiar with this passage. Verse 3 says, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, this is interesting, right? Because we kind of talked about this last week. I remember um, years ago, uh, we had somebody that <clears throat> in our church in St. Mary's, uh, well, you know him, Chad Sutledge, his sister in and out of church and um, she ended up coming here to visit. This is long before the Settlages even came. And uh, I found out that she uh, visited, so I called Pastor Ed that day. I said, hey, did you have any visitors today? He said, yep, we sure did. Actually, he said, you know one, one of the visitors. I said, yeah. And he go I said, well, how'd it go? Did she, um, you know, did she seem interested? You know, we've been praying for her. And he goes, well, I tell you what, I just flat out went up to her and asked her if she was born again. And she said no. And so he shared the gospel with her and she confessed Christ as her Lord at that time. So, but remember we talked about how important it is when we listen to people, when they share, we have to know whether they are born again or not. Because if they're not, at some point the gospel has to be given. Why? Because that's the goal. It's for them to experience forgiveness, the redemption and the love of God through his son Jesus. That they might begin what we talked about, remember, eternal life. Eternal life isn't for eternity, it's for here and now. At the very moment of conversion. And when you think about counseling or ministering to or making disciples, it's all about the life that God offers to us. It's not about quit drinking or, you know, you know, quit watching stuff you shouldn't watch or all those things are good, but that should all come from your relationship with God. And so how important it is that we know whether or not they're born again. Certainly we can help them and be there for them. 
But if we're going to minister to them that they might experience what God has for them, we have to be able to know and then share the gospel at some point, right? Uh, now let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You know, we read verse 14, but I'd love to read verses 10 through 14 here. First Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So how important it is that we have the Holy Spirit. The natural man does not have the Holy Spirit, but we have the Holy Spirit. And we understand, as much as God allows us to, the things of God. And ultimately, we know that we are saved or that we've been redeemed, that we're no longer of the world, but we are in Christ because we know that we know that we know, right? We can read the scriptures all we want, how many of you read the Bible before you were a Christian? Sunday school? So you know uh, Noah and the ark, yeah, and David and Goliath. You know those stories, right? The wall of Jericho. Now you're talking. You knew about Jesus' miracles. But you didn't know God. That's the amazing thing with this Holy Spirit. We know God. Let's look at John chapter 10. Okay. Uh, let's dissect that. Because uh, you're right. I know what you mean. So the word know. Because that's when we. Because mostly when you go out and ask the person, it's like, yeah, I know God. You I've know been praying to God. God. Yeah, so it's like, you know about God. But you don't have relationship. Exactly. So you don't really know the deeper meaning of God. You know God by the word God. Yes. And just like when we read those stories in Sunday school about David and Goliath and Noah's Ark and uh, what did you say, uh, the wall, the Jericho wall, um, we knew about God, we knew things about God, we knew things about the Bible, but we didn't know God. And we can't know God without His Holy Spirit. Okay? 
So again, it's all about, then we go here to John chapter 10. Do you have John chapter 10, 9 and 10? Yeah. Awesome. Um, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief <coughs> does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Okay, so what is the abundant life that Jesus is talking about there? Everlasting life, eternal life, life in him, peace of God through Christ. He's the, he's the good shepherd. He gives the invitation to go through the door for green pastures. It's, again, that divine nature or that, uh, you know, the life that we looked at last week, the life in God. Of knowing God that's what God offers and that's what we want to offer to those who don't have it and for those that we might minister to encourage comfort counsel that they're not experiencing that all right now here comes the fun part it's all fun but um, let's go to Genesis chapter 1 Genesis chapter 1. Let me ask this question why, while we go to Genesis 1. When did man's problems begin? And Crystal's looking across the table there. I saw that. That was just her problem. As soon as he disobeyed God. Who? What, what are you blaming he for? <laughs> you opened up a door there. Okay, so when Adam... <laughs> got her job. You're doing great, Brad. <laughs> Be that spiritual leader, brother. They disobeyed God's word. Okay, let's go to Genesis 1, and let's begin in verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make men. Um, God said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. He didn't say that. And also, she, she just says, But the fruit of the tree which in, is in the midst of the garden, she doesn't really identify and it says here, Eve did what so many people do. She revised and then rejected what God had said. Okay. You know, Satan gets a little credit here, right, for the temptation and lying. But Adam and Eve were responsible. And again, this is so vital and very foundational for us. We know this. It's very, right, we know what's the problem with the world. Well, it all goes back to in the garden, and that's true. But how's that play out in everyday life? And how's it play out when we think about making disciples? So we see the temptation to sin, and what is sin? 
missing the mark. We understand here, what did God say if they disobeyed him? They would surely, they would surely die. Okay, so we have original sin. And it's interesting here in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Can you think of any scripture that will line up with this for living today and the temptation from the enemy? In one of John's letters, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. And... That's right. First John chapter 2. So, oh, is it there? Oh, I was going to look. So, First John chapter two, uh, verses fifteen through seventeen, it talks about this very thing. Satan has a very small playbook, but he's very, very good at what he does, and his desire for man to sin, to disobey God's word. He twists, he distorts God's word, he distorts everything about God, especially when it comes to man. And the way God has called man to live. Who has that? First John chapter 2, verse 15 through 7. Jane? Can I read it? Yes. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So that is... A pretty important scripture, don't you think? When we think about discipleship, we think about ministering one to another, counseling, especially as we get into looking at man's ways and what man his excuses has to to not living according to what God says. Now, who has Romans 5.12? Barb? As by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death hath upon all men, for that all have sinned. Okay. So through Adam, sin has entered into the world, and this is man's problem. Sin. Missing the mark. Alright. Now, let's see how much more this affected Adam and Eve and we also will see then how some a man then living with under this sin or being in sin separated from God and how clever the enemy was to do what he did all right let's look at uh, Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 then actually let me read 7 with then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Now listen. Did God know where he was? Did God really not know where Adam was? He knew. 
And so he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. So this is interesting. When they ate from the tree of good and evil, they knew that they were naked, and they sowed fig leaves for covering. How, what's that mean that they, were, they knew that they were naked? They knew they were sinful? Okay. Guilty. They experienced the guilt from disobeying God. They had guilt and shame. And so when, uh, you know, they, it says in verse... I heard your voice, verse 10. I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. So that tells us something there. Remember back in Genesis 1.28, it said that God blessed them. God put, you know, stepping down and, and, and blessing them, Brock. Now we see the relationship between man and God has been broken. There's conflict now, there's sin. And Adam, he's no longer comfortable being in the presence of God, he and Eve, and he's scared, he's afraid. That's not the way God is intended. Why did God create us in the first place? Fellowship, relationship. And that fellowship and relationship is now broken because of sin. Look what else happened here. Look at verse 11. And he said, this is God, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Now, I think when I read that verse, you know what I think? I think of grace. I think of grace. It's like God is wanting Adam to just answer the question. And what does Adam do? He doesn't just answer the question. Don't you laugh. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. Verse 11 says, and, or excuse me, verse 12. Then the man said, the woman whom you gave because you thought that I needed a helper, that I couldn't live life on my own, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. So not only does man, now the sin, you know, bring issues, the conflict between God and man because of sin. Now he's not taking responsibility. What would have happened if Adam just would have answered the question? What if he just would have confessed? He still would have been guilty. He's still guilty. But I'm just thinking, what if he would have just, I think this is good for us. When we sin, when the Holy Spirit, because we're different than Adam, we're not separated from God. We are in Christ. We are with him. When we sin, just answer the question. Just be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Confess the sin and that conflict of fellowship that was broken because of our sin. Not positionally, right? But our fellowship, it's like, you know, in a marriage, if there's a disagreement, yeah, there might be a disagreement, but that marriage isn't over. And it's the same way when we sin now when we were a believer. 
our relationship with God is hindered, definitely hindered, but positionally we're still in Christ. But we got to listen to the Holy Spirit. It's important that we share this. And next week when we look at the sufficiencies of sufficiency of Scripture and look at looking at the resources that we have in Christ, how powerful the work of the Holy Spirit and his ministry when we're ministering to, counseling to others, and making disciples. So that Adam, he sure was a wicked guy blaming his wife like that. Would you agree? Well, he's blaming God, yes. Blame everyone but himself. The sin only affects our relationship with God, but then it causes discord amongst each other. Absolutely. Verse 13, And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So both of them twist things up. They're not ob even obedient to God at this point, And we know that they are now separated from God. Not in a spiritual death, or not in a, in a physical death, but spiritually speaking. Now go to verse 21. It says, Also for Adam, his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. What's that speak of? It speaks of a sacrifice. God provided them with the covering, essentially removing their guilt and their shame so that their fellowship would be, you know, they would, they would be able to follow God and be with God. And also we understand this, that the sacrifice was only a covering but it all foreshadows to Jesus, right? The Lamb of God who not covers sin, but takes away the sin of the world. <clears throat> now, how much time? Oh, geez. Okay, let's look with our time remaining. Let's look at some things. The air of man's way. We talked about Eve. When Eve saw that it was good, desire, it, it desired. What, what do we call that? Or how do we describe Eve in that state when she saw, she thought it was good, and then she acted? What happened? What, how do we want to describe that? Temptation? Lust? I said fear of missing out. Fear of missing out? What was that? Missing out? Foam. Okay. Fear of missing out. Okay. What's that? Coveting. Self exaltation. Putting self above God and His will. This is what sin revealed with Eve. And with this mindset, man's ways or views of self, I thought it would be good that we touch on some of these things. Again, in the mindset of ministering one to another, making disciples, counseling, how much self, the mindset and the heart of self, gets in the way. Because self is an issue.
Who has Psalm 66, 7? You may. <laughs> Come and see the works of God. He is awesome in his doing towards the Son of Man. He turned the sea into dry land, and they went through uh, the river on foot. There, uh, there uh, we will rejoice in him. He rules by his power forever. His eyes observe the nations. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. Okay. So it goes kind of back to what Lisa said. What's man's issue? Well, man's issue is that he thinks he knows better than God. That's exactly what Eve, she didn't think there was going to be consequences. Where was Adam? Well, he was behind Eve when he should have been in front of Eve, protecting Eve, being the leader of his home, right? So let's talk. Who has Matthew chapter 23, verse 12? Or how about, let's turn to Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. Uh, 18.9. Verse 9 says, Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this filthy tax collector. I added, I'm sorry. Added to the, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house, justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's a, a good discipleship verse in itself there. What about self-worth? Have you ever heard that before? Self-worth? In what context have you heard it? I am enough. I am enough? Okay. I do it all day long. Yeah. <laughs> the very, uh, the, the world tells you that. Self-worth. Self yep. Certainly we are worthy. We are created in the image of God and he sees us as worthy, certainly. But then man, not thinking of God and putting God to the side, I'm enough, or I have enough value in me. I need to love myself. I need to love myself. What about self-assurance? Self-assurance. Even believers can mistakenly think that they are the source of spiritual blessings from God. Like, well, I do this, therefore God has done this. That's dangerous, right? What do we call that? 
works. What's an example? So, um, uh, like, oh, like this guy just said. Yeah. So let's say I, I work a job and, and the Lord's blessed financially, uh, and it's just a, a sign of my self assurance. I've done this. Pride. Pride. Yeah, well, it's even within, um, <laughs> you know, some the dominionism, uh, ultimately almost like a kingdom now type of thinking, and thinking that once the body of Christ gets to a certain point, when we are doing what we are supposed to be doing, then God will see fit that he comes at that time like he's promised in his word. What's the pro what's what's the problem with that thinking? It's not what God says. It's not a based on what man does for for the Lord to return. There's a whole bunch of other uh, things wrong in their thinking. Go before that, we can't be taken because we are we are not purified. We are not you know we're yeah, and it's like we are by Jesus. You know, it's like that just kind of goes over your head. Like God's depending on us yeah. to get it done. And yeah. we can't do that. It doesn't take into consideration our position in Christ. And it's just the day-to-day -day us. You know? Um, and boy, that opens up a barrel of snakes. It does, because when you follow that mindset, and ultimately what that's called, it's works righteousness. And when we follow works righteousness, it's not based on our righteous standing before God. It's like I'm always attaining to that. And that's where man can't do that. We can't, we can't earn God's righteousness, and we're going to look at that. But even as we come to a believer, we don't have to attain to anything. Now, we are to because we are created uh, as God's uh, you know, workmanship. We are to do things for the Lord. Our works are, are vital and, and, and seriously important. But that's not works righteousness. We, we don't earn God's righteousness. In fact, let's look at a few scriptures with self-righteousness while we're on that. What is self-righteousness not in context that we just talked about? Let's say from a non-believer saying, well, I am righteous. What would we say to them? There's no one good but God. That's where you can do that Yeah, that's yeah. awesome stuff. Yeah. Um, 
So Darlene touched on, um, you know, Romans 3. Uh, there is none righteous. Um, our, you know, our good works to, um, to receive the, the fact that we would be righteous. It's all of our works to God is what? Filthy rags. And there's no, nothing that we can do to earn God's favor. And that goes right along with um, self-love. Let's go to Matthew chapter 22. Because this, this, every one of us have heard this. Maybe we've even used it. Um, even as a believer, we may have used it. Matthew chapter 22. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sometimes I don't go by that sheet. Um, <laughs> some of you know. Some of you know that. You have an inspiration. Take us there. It's a it's a guide, is what it is. Um, let's see here. Uh, let's go down to verse 34 through. 40. Who wants to read that? Okay. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Did you want me to read more? Nope, nope that's good there. Okay. So, Jesus shares what the greatest commandment is. Loving God. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Is Jesus saying that you first must love yourself? No. No, because it's implied in there that we already do love ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've heard, I've invited people to church before. Well, I need to love myself first. What? Wow. You'll yeah. never come to church. <laughs> And where where do they get this from? Where do they get the slogan? Well, I got to love myself first, or I you just got to love yourself. Psychology, the world, some stupid commercial probably. I don't watch enough TV. Yeah. You deserve a break today. Have it your way. McDonald's, Burger King. Mm -hmm. Commercials have all the slogans, though. Yeah. You're worth it, yes. You deserve it. So, you know, Satan is in all the advertisement. It's all marketing, trying to get into our mind. All right? So nowhere in the scripture does it say to love yourself. But there's a whole lot 
in the scriptures that says to deny ourselves. And that's so much of our walk uh, with the Lord. It's so much uh, being a disciple. And as we are called to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow Jesus. It's, we must die to self continuously to continue on that enjoying the blessings that God has for us. And that's the, that is joy in our life, uh, to follow Christ. And, and, you know, Paul talked about that in Philippians chapter 3. Let's turn real quick to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 2. And you, and who's you? Believers. Believers. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. That sounds like what Eve was doing, right? And what we read in 1 John chapter 2. But despite all that, it says, verse 4, But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us, in Christ Jesus. So, there we talked about last week, the but God moment. Again, there has to be that but God moment to experience the abundant life that Jesus offers. Coming from that transformation place, from not being a believer, being dead in sins, to that very moment of conversion. As it says here, He made us alive. It was a but God moment. There has to be that but God moment. And that's, to me and you, that's like the greatest two words in all of Scripture. But God, despite my past, despite anything I ever, everything I ever did, and the mindset of what Paul talked about in Colossians 1, being hostile to God and to the things of God, being spiritually dead to God. But God. But God worked. Self-esteem, you know, apart from Jesus, there is no inherent value in yourself. Our value is found in God or in Jesus based on what we just read there. Certainly, again, we are worthy, we're valuable to God, so much so that he sent his son Jesus to die for our sin. But there's no good in us except for, for Jesus. The world says, secular counseling says, 
We need more self-esteem. We need to think more about ourselves. We need to exalt ourselves. We need to think about ourselves. We need to love ourselves. It's always about self. That's what the world teaches, which is contrary to what the Word of God says. Because if we're focused on self, what are we always going to be thinking about? Self, we're not going to think about others. How much does the scripture talk about others? Well, we just read in Matthew 22, what Jesus said, love your neighbors as you love yourself. It's important that we're about others-minded. So much of our walk is about others and putting others first. That's part of dying to self. How about, let's go to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Again, these are foundational, foundation verses for us. Romans chapter 12. But all of these are scriptures that we will use to make disciples, to minister one to another, and to counsel others. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Here's a scripture that points to the solution that God has for a change to, to have to take place. From that of being self-centered, being separated from God, to being made alive, and then following on and in obedience to God, that we experience the blessings of God. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So think back when you became a believer. And we'll have to quit on this verse, I guess. Uh, think back before you were saved, and then you had that but God moment. You came to the Lord. How much did you know about the scriptures when you came to Jesus? One. John 3.16, that's all we have to know, right? But then our minds began to be renewed. God did that. And as we seek him and his Holy Spirit and the renewing of our mind, and that's continuous, right? Nobody has attained. We still live in this moment. No matter how long you've walked with the Lord, we are always growing in the Lord and always having our mind renewed. But our mind had to be renewed. Why? Because our life before Christ, it was all about self. What We, we lived just like Eve. We lusted with our eyes. We saw. We, we lived in accordance, putting our own self above the will of God. And now that we have Christ, we have this you know, wonderful opportunity as the Holy Spirit works in us and we desire to please God. That's where the rubber meets the road with disciples. 
and those that are struggling in their walk with the Lord. It always comes back to obedience. What is our life to be? Well, God offers a life that he would be uh, our source of strength, our source of everything, our God. And yet when we don't live to please him and to experience the blessings, to experience that everlasting life, that eternal life, the life that God offers to us in Christ, then things get out of harmony. And when things get out of harmony, it's a consequence of not wanting to please him. That's where Eve and Adam, I did say Eve and Adam, that's where they got into trouble. They disobeyed God then. And you think about it our life, even now maybe, you know, when we're not living to please God, the spiritual harmony, the connection we have with God, it goes astray. That's when we have issue. But glory be to God, as we minister to one another, as we counsel one another, and we make disciples, the body of Christ comes along together and ministers, and we are to be rescuers of those who have gone astray. So again, it's a double-edged sword here, what we're talking about. Not only reaching the lost as part of the Great Commission, but also teaching everyone the commandments of Jesus, discipleship. Any questions? We're going to stop there. Alan. Not really a question, but on, uh, on 12.2, where he's talking about uh, be conformed to the renewing of the mind. Um, the, uh, we're all familiar with G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. For us, it's a capital G-I, lowercase G-O, not in, garbage out. And since we're always absorbing garbage from the world, it's a solid case for spending time in here, and pardon the expression, but going through a healthy brainwashing. And it has to take place, right? Because we had a view of the world. We're all philosophers. We all have a view of how the world is or what it ought to be. Before God, our worldview obviously didn't contain God, the things of God, the blessings of God. Certainly that we're sinners and that we need to be reconciled to God. So yeah, garbage in, garbage out with all thoughts because his thoughts are higher than, than our thoughts. All right, so I did have one last thing to say that ties into next week. This is like, so you'll come back. Um, <laughs> even the most difficult problems of life, and we're going to touch on these things in the weeks to come. Depression, fear, and anxiety, alcohol, drug abuse, homosexuality, child abuse. These all issues in life are solved or can be solved effectively from a biblical perspective of pleasing God and relying on God's word instead of man's ways. It goes back to Hebrews 4.12. God's word, God himself has great ability to transform us into the people that he wants us to be. He can do it. And we have to believe his word is sufficient to do what he wants to do. Amen?
Okay. Brad, would you close us in prayer tonight? <laughs> Amen. Amen.